0: Cities Orthopedics is proud to be the official sports medicine provider for Tommy Athletics. TCO is trusted by some of the biggest names in sports, and they bring that same level of care to our athletes. Thank you, TCO, for being a part of our team. Visit TCOMN.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Tommy Talks, the weekly podcast bringing you inside St. Thomas Athletics where we'll get to know those who wear the purple and gray. I'm Corbu Status, and this week our guest is Rob Fisher, president of the university. We talk about what Division I athletics mean to St. Thomas, how the Lee and Penny Anderson Arena and other construction projects benefit the university, blending faith and reason and much more. You can subscribe to Tommy Talks wherever you get your podcasts and if you love it, please give us a five-star rating. Now, here's our conversation with President Fisher on another edition of Tommy Talk. President Fisher, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, what a big announcement last week with the Lee and Penny Anderson Arena and the gift of $75 million, just stunning all the way around. Uh, what does this mean not only for academics and the university as a whole, but for
1: athletics as well? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Uh, We've been on a journey over the past 30 years, really from the time the uh, St. Thomas decided to open up a Minneapolis campus. And that's been a journey from being a small Catholic liberal arts college to being a comprehensive nationally known Catholic university. And the gift for the arena is is jet fuel on that journey. It's going to, um, it's going to uh, strengthen the student experience. It's going to strengthen our alumni engagement, and it's going to broaden our visibility outside Minnesota. And that's uh, that's where we need to be. So it's it's a huge uh, turning point in our institutional history.
0: Pretty similar to what the move to Division One is doing for the university as well. Correct, yeah. correct,
1: yeah. And it's but the Division One status while meaningful doesn't, isn't a self-executing status. We have to invest in it and we have to be strategic about it uh, for all those priorities, uh, student experience, alumni engagement, and visibility.
0: How are the alumni uh, reacting to all of it, right? Because it's a much different campus even from 15 years ago, 20 years ago, than for the alumni
1: that were on campus. Yeah, and so I'm always inviting alumni uh, back to campus, back to interacting with our students. And what I, what I say and what we What we aspire to is to make sure that that same student-centered experience they had, whether they were at St. Thomas 10 years ago or 50 years ago, is going to be a constant. But the trappings that uh, that experience unfolds in, those are going to change. Because we've, as a Catholic university, we have to take vocation very seriously. And when I say vocation, I mean we want to equip all of our students to discern how their gifts and priorities and passions and values and beliefs line up with the world's needs. Where can they connect with the world's needs, with what they uniquely bring to the table? And for at the institutional level, we also have to take vocation seriously. How do our resources, gifts, expertise, history, traditions how do they meet the world's needs today, which is gonna be different than it was in 1885 when we opened our doors or 1950 or the year 2000. And so this is an exciting journey, I think for alumni, because alumni uh, really do uh, support wanting to grow our reputation, not just for the sake of basking in the reflected glory of the <laughs> right. institutional name, but because they believe in the mission of this place. And if you believe in the mission, you want it to be known. You want to be able to draw new families new communities into the St. Thomas experience. So I think uh, alumni are rallying to it and and you can tell by the number who are coming back to the games, the number who are financially supporting our effort. I think it's an exciting time.
0: And the bigger the university gets, the more outside influence and more outside pressures for lack of a better term develop
1: as well, I would imagine. Yeah. Um and we, you know, we're not as big as we were you know, in earlier eras. So it's really not the size of the university we're focused on. It's the excellence of the university. It's the comprehensiveness of the university. It's that the residency culture that's uh, that's on campus. That's all what we're we're building. The focus is not not on the aggregate size, but it is on the impact.
0: The size of the impact versus yep. the size of the student body. Yep. Uh, let's talk about your entrance into the
1: academic world. You were a lawyer for how many years? Well, I'm still a lawyer. I just, still a lawyer. Excuse I, me. Yeah, yes, I just don't practice. Uh, so I um, I entered into the academy about uh, six six years or so after I graduated law school. So I uh, spent some time uh, clerking for judges, and then I worked at a I did corporate litigation at a law firm in Chicago. Okay.
0: And then what made you decide that's enough? Now I want to try and get into the world of academics.
1: Well, I enjoyed the practice of law. I found it challenging and you're working with smart people and you're working hard and you're serving clients. So I enjoyed that. What I wanted more of is the opportunity to engage in the issues that I was passionate about. And so getting into uh, teaching and Research allowed me to delve more deeply into some of the issues I cared about regarding ethics and the intersection of law with uh, religious faith and professional identity. So that's really what drew me. It wasn't a rejection of legal practice. It was a attraction to a deeper uh, dive into those issues.
0: Yeah, that's got to be a fascinating intersection where you have religion and you have uh, faith and you have uh, ethics all where law,
1: it's almost like blending mathematics and art. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of what the university stands for, this integration of faith and reason. Um, and some people say, well, that's just a cliche. I mean, what, what does it even mean? Well, it's actually very powerful because, you know, for a huge portion of the world's population and over many hundreds of years, religious faith is a, is a defining source of meaning and identity, how do you bring that meaning to bear on your day-to-day life when you're trying to earn a livelihood? How can it matter? How can it bring value to who you are as a person, to who you are as a professional, um, where you're rejecting sort of these, these polar opposites that more and more in our society we're grappling with? One is sort of a religious fundamentalism that is, is religious faith devoid of reason, that Mm -hmm. you just, you want to reject these insights from contemporary society and just, you know, distill what you believe are the basic fundamentals of the faith and kind of keep the outside world at bay. On the opposite extreme is sort of this, what I would call kind of a a technical secularism where you're uh, approaching life devoid of any potential for transcendent meaning and purpose. And when you adopt that approach, uh, there are different dangers than with fundamentalism, but there's still dangers of just uh, robbing, uh, robbing existence of meaning and purpose and motivation. So as a Catholic university, how do we bring faith and reason together in ways that shed more light than heat, in ways that equip and inspire our students and our alumni and our faculty and staff to bring their deepest held beliefs to bear on who they are in the world and how they can impact others' lives? How do we realize the tremendous uh, wisdom and uh, energizing power of faith to the extent that it It shapes how we conceive of ourselves, but do it in a way that's fully engaged with reason, with science, with the disciplines that we gain from an academic setting. That's what we're trying to do at St. Thomas. Shedding light rather
0: than heat. I love that. Yeah, that is a great uh, great turn of phrase. Uh, What's your favorite thing
1: about being a professor prior to becoming president? Oh, the students, without question, um, because, you know, when they show up in your, in your class or in your office, they, by nature of them being there, they are open to learning something new about the world. And in that process, you're learning something new about the world through them. So I've always told people when you're having a a hard day or you're feeling stuck, or you're wondering if, you know, if if you're just spinning your wheels, get out of your office and go spend time with students. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the great blessings. Uh, working in higher ed, is whether you're a professor in the classroom or not, you've got students all around. You're going to have the opportunity to make connections with them and uh, an opportunity to both inspire the coming generations but also be inspired by the coming generations. So without question, it's the students is the highlight.
0: Yeah, it keeps you young, right? I've been in college athletics working in this profession for 20 years, and it does. I mean, I would be so secluded in my own little world just moving through with my own little pocket of people at this age now you get this whole other
1: side of the world constantly evolving underneath you yeah yep it does it does keep you young although i have to say i've spent most of my 18 years at saint thomas working on the minneapolis campus and so when i came over here the first couple of months i started working out in the uh anderson athletic and recreation complex in the in the weight room there and Uh, Working out now, I'm 52 at at that age, around a bunch of 18, 19, (laughs) 20-year-olds. I did not feel young. I said, you know what? I think I need to keep working out at home. (laughs) A little humbling, right? It was a little humbling. Yes, yes. bodyweight
0: workouts (laughs) at home, the way to go. That's how I do it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Where did you grow up? Are you from the Midwest? Yeah, I was born in a a small town in Iowa called Muscatine. Uh, I lived there till third grade. And then uh, my mom and siblings and I moved to uh, just outside Chicago, a suburb called Glen Ellen, which is in the western suburbs. And I grew up there.
0: Yeah, and so... Got some time in Chicago. You were practicing law there. Was it hard to move away from Chicago in pursuit of the academic world?
1: No, because I had moved. I went to New Orleans for college, and then I went to Boston for law school, and then uh, I did a clerkship in D.C. before coming back to Chicago to practice. So I had moved around a little bit, and we um, then my first teaching job was out in uh, New York City, and we spent a few years there, my wife Maureen and I and uh we de- she's from omaha and we decided to come back to the midwest to be closer to family and at that point uh my wife said you know we'd move around a few times at that point and she said uh let's uh you i've only got one move left so make, make it <laughs> count and that really was one of the reasons i was drawn to saint thomas because you know a lot of academic uh career assessments are based on okay where am i going to go for a few years and then i'll try to move up the chain here, and then I'll try to move up the chain here and just kind of climb this ladder, just like the corporate ladder. And and for me, I wanted to uh, look at it through the lens of if I'm going to invest in one institution for my entire career from here on out, where could that be? And at that time, I was mostly familiar with the law school at St. Thomas, and they had a very, very much an entrepreneurial attitude, uh, embracing innovation of trying to be the law school that the world needs today rather than trying to just replicate what worked for law schools 50 years 25 years Mm -hmm. earlier and uh, so that's why i came to law school and then when i got to know the broader university it's that same mindset that pervades this place we're not just trying to replicate or keep the status quo we're really always evolving and so it was easy to to leave for this because I saw the opportunity that St. Thomas represented.
0: Yeah, and the Twin Cities really seems like a perfect midway point between Chicago and Omaha. Yep, like it might be right at the peak of that uh, triangle. Yeah. Um, Growing up in Chicago, then, are you all Chicago sports or have you started to matriculate a little bit towards the
1: Minnesota teams? Oh, you know, I have always found that it's just easier and more enjoyable to adopt the teams where you live. Mm -hmm. So I'm still a Chicago sports fan. Um. And I'll have a tough decision if the Bears and Vikings ever meet in the NFC championship. But <laughs> right. I don't think that's going to happen in the next couple of years for some reason. Uh, uh, but, yeah, so I, I consider myself both a Chicago sports fan and a Minnesota sports fan.
0: Yeah, there's a there's great sides on both sides, right? Like the Twins ballpark is outstanding. I would imagine you went to a handful of games at Wrigley Field in yep. your life. There's no other experience like Wrigley
1: Field. Yes, we've we had some great experiences at uh, at Wrigley Field. We lived uh, when I practiced in Chicago. We lived uh, right at Belmont and Sheffield, so we were just a few blocks from yeah. Wrigley Field. We got to a lot of games.
0: I bet um, I, when I first went to a game at Wrigley, it was in the bleacher seats, and you can sit anywhere else in Wrigley, and that's a unique experience. But there's nothing like sitting in the bleachers. Yeah. For better and for worse. Yes. (laughs) Well put. Well put. I would imagine game days were felt like that, too, living close to it. You're like, oh, man, this again. Oh, yeah. A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Uh, You've been on this campus then for how long? Because you were in Minneapolis for a while. And how long have you been here?
1: So uh, this My move into the interim position was announced March 1st, and from that point on, I started spending more time on the St. Paul campus, but then I've been here full-time basically since May.
0: Yeah. Have you picked out a
1: favorite spot on campus yet? You know, I love just walking around the Anderson Student Center. Mm -hmm. I don't have one particular spot, but there's always something going on, and just... I promise I don't try to eavesdrop on students, but just observing (laughs) kind of the different interactions. And if you look into the different meeting rooms, what they're working on, it's such a wide variety of projects they're doing. That's obvious that they're uh, doing creative work and just walking around is always, it's, it's a reminder of why we're doing this uh, to begin with. And then obviously the chapel in the new Iverson Center of Faith is just such breathtakingly beautiful space that getting time over there is important
0: too. Yeah, and you know, we talked started off talking about the Anderson Arena, but that's just one of the many projects going on right now on campus. Uh, how does that construction benefit? Obviously, it's always great to have something new, but dive into that a little bit more and tell us why it benefits having all of the new buildings that are
1: continuing to crop up. Yeah, so these are the these are the spaces where where our students' lives will unfold, right? So I was You know at the beginning of this academic year in early september when the new students were just on campus for the first time walking you know over at the at at the anderson athletics recreation complex or at the anderson student center or in the chapel or in any of the newly renovated dorms you walk in and you can see that the initial meetings are happening between new students And you can kind of tell because there's some hesitation, there's some nervousness, there's some introductions. And standing there, I don't know, and they don't know, is this the first conversation of a lifelong friendship? Maybe it's not, but some of them, that will be happening. That happens in facilities, and hopefully they're not even conscious of all the planning and thought and care that went into that design to make that space welcoming and beautiful and comfortable. And those are the spaces where their lives are going to unfold. Uh, when we start talking about, like across Summit Avenue from where we are right now, the Scheneker Center, that is going to be a world-class facility bringing the STEM fields and the arts together. So that will be a very visible representation of what St. Thomas stands for st thomas stands for students not becoming siloed individuals students saying you know what i can do the concert choir and i can do pre-med with biology i can you know be in engineering and i can do uh emerging media you know like the future of knowledge is going to be cross-cutting interdisciplinary and adaptable right i was um meeting with a CEO of one of the big local companies just a few weeks ago who did not go to any kind of liberal arts college or university in his background. But when I was asking him, what do you look for in in new hires? He said, we look for critical thinking ability, communication skills, teamwork ability, and basically, we want people who have learned how to learn. Mm. That's at the heart of what St. Thomas is aspiring to be, and the facilities matter they don't matter as much as the people matter but they do matter you can't you have to be intentional about the physical spaces you're building so that this interdisciplinary work this relationship-centered education can unfold and uh, it's it's becoming truer and truer every year but i think saint thomas is among the most beautiful campuses in the country and it's getting more beautiful
0: yeah it really is a a stunning place and it's uh comfortable it feels homey when you walk around the campus. You feel just – I'm trying to think of the right word for it, and I don't know if I have it. It's just is comfortable all the way around. Not too small, but not too large where you just feel lost and you're in a
1: maze. Yeah, and I, I think they've done a great job with it. Of. Uh, intentionality. Mm-hmm. There are some college campuses I've been on, and you can say, oh, well, this idea for a building had nothing to do with the idea <laughs> for a building that was 20 years before, and right. it's just a hodgepodge. And here are the consistency with the Casoda Stone uh, exteriors and the design and the layout of the campus. Yeah. It's great. And it's not just because we like to look at beautiful things. It, it matters because the environment affects our disposition toward connection mm-hmm. i think the environment can convey a sense of isolation or anxiety or being guarded or the environment can say yeah you're you're in a good place and you can be open to learning and you can be open to new perspectives and you can be open to connection
0: yeah absolutely all right let's ask you, i want to find out a little bit more about you uh what are some things you like to do for fun
1: uh for fun i enjoy uh reading uh fiction nonfiction. i enjoy i mean i read a lot of nonfiction for work mm-hmm. like i do you know read as much as i can about emerging fields of knowledge and read in the new yorker the new york times or you know so i i read a lot of stuff about what's happening in the world and so when i'm reading for the sake of reading it's almost always going to be fiction, with a couple exceptions. I just received uh, Bono's new autobiography yeah. for Christmas. I'm reading that now. I, re- I read Bruce Springsteen's autobiography a couple of years ago. So I'll make exceptions for now and then, but generally yeah. I like to read uh, fiction. What kind of genre for fiction? Well, um, I'll I'll try just about anything. You know, uh, traditionally I've been a big fan of of the of the old Russian literature Tolstoy Dostoevsky mm-hmm. um, and then I'm a big fan of Cormac McCarthy. So okay. he's the uh, written The Road and All the Pretty Horses and uh, yeah. Blood Meridian and all he if you haven't read Cormac McCarthy before he's a little bleak but <laughs> I, bleak, yes. I think the bleakness actually obscures if you don't look carefully there most of his stories in the end are about love at some level but Yeah so Cormac McCarthy's a big big uh, draw for me
0: yeah i talked to a couple of student athletes who were reading uh, 1984 which I just read for the first time this past summer as well don't tell my high school uh, professors that but uh, that was also pretty bleak Yes. Yeah. Yes, that is.
1: Uh, is. So, is it along the same lines as that, or is it just you know the settings and and the storylines? Yeah, it's the you know for me. I mean, it's the same thing. I focus on in my work. You look for the relationship. All all the rest is just detail. But if mm-hmm. you can find the relationship in the story, that's a novel that I want to read. Um, and for us. You know, everything, all the great buildings we have going on, the new programs, the fundraising, the uh, employment outcomes, all all that stuff is great. But never let it distract you from the relationship and the opportunity that we have as faculty and staff, the opportunity we have as students to really genuinely encounter the person that's sitting in front of us that's, you know, coming and get, Getting food from our food service line. That's stopping by our office. That's stepping into our laboratory. Whatever it is, that's that's the core of the narrative, and we can't lose sight of that. Favorite movie? You know, <clears throat> my movie taste, do not run to the highbrow. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I would say that. I, well, apart, I mean, I wouldn't consider this highbrow by any means, but the you know the Godfather uh, movies yeah. are always classics i'm a big will ferrell fan i'm a big vince vaughn fan yeah um i don't endorse all of their movie uh choices <laughs> 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 but they're uh they're pretty good i i don't uh i i don't need uh really serious somber big think pieces when i'm watching movies yeah, yeah. you get enough of that in your day-to-day life exactly, right? exactly. a
0: little bit exactly. more uh so As a lawyer, do you like lawyer movies or do you just watch them and think, no, that's not the way we would do it at all?
1: You know, shows like uh, The Practice and all these Law and Order and all those lawyer TV shows, I've literally never watched. And I don't really, I'm not drawn to lawyer movies either. I just think that's that's my day job, or has been my day job, and I spend my time uh, thinking about legal education and things. Yeah. And that's not what I look to for entertainment. So.
0: More escapism. Exactly. Favorite album or band? I would imagine U2 is somewhere in there. Yeah,
1: U2 is definitely in there. If you're going to pick a album from U2, it's probably either Joshua Tree or Octung Baby. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I know this is a very cliché dating uh, <laughs> myself, but uh, Pearl Jam was certainly a big... Big band. Yeah, uh, for me. I've my friends will make fun of me for uh, not for all of my musical tastes. Uh, stopping in about 1995, <laughs> and then it just didn't evolve from right. there. So I've, you know, I try to, I try to keep up. Sometimes, sometimes I'll even listen to the current, which is the public radio station playing a lot of yeah. new music. But if it goes more than about ten minutes without playing a song I've heard before, then I, I'll, I'll switch. <laughs> so I'm definitely a creature of habit. Yeah, 1995. That's not a bad cutoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right in that same general area. Favorite food. Are you much of a foodie? I'm not a foodie. I am uh, what you would call a functional eater. Yes, I am willing to eat anything. I really there's really hardly anything that I will turn up my nose uh, at. Um, but I, when early in our marriage, I would do just about all of the cooking, and uh, my wife eventually took it over from me because. I'm such a functional eater that I'm also a very functional cooker in the sense that what's well, gonna be the easiest thing to make? Let's yes. go for the pasta and the jarred tomato sauce. <laughs> right uh, but <laughs> if i'm if I'm feeling more sophisticated, uh, probably my favorite uh, type of cuisine would be sushi. I do love sushi. yeah,
0: and it's a, an experience too, right? Yeah, yeah. go in Absolutely. there,
1: order it. Do you ask for the chef
0: specials every now and then just to try something new? you know yeah i'll change it up
1: sometimes yeah i i am conscious of being a creature of habit so i do but it takes an intentional decision for me right. to break out of the habit yeah so well that's a
0: pretty big intention to break out of uh, being a professor to being interim president to working on that level when did you decide that that was a path that you wanted to
1: take so uh i loved being a professor um uh, and I still consider myself. I'm not teaching this year, but most years I still teach. Um, the The problem for me when you're, you know, sort of teaching the same classes, and I'd, you know, published a couple books and some articles, so I knew how to do the writing thing. For me, this is not true for all faculty, but for me, it was too easy to fall into a comfort zone. Mm. And for me, if I'm in a comfort zone for too long, I'm not growing. And so that's what sort of instigated me on this journey where first I became the associate Dean of the law school and then the Dean of the law school. Um, but, and then the interim president and the president and all of that is, um, for me, a growth trajectory where I think we're called to be faithful stewards of the gifts we've been given. And that's gonna require things that take you out of your comfort zone. And so for me being in higher ed administration, it's closer to being you're still dealing with academic issues and students and the things that i love but it's closer to being a practicing lawyer and that every day you've got a different problem that drops on your desk and you got to figure out how to fix it right uh and it, you're not there's no way you're going to predict what's coming tomorrow or next week much less next year yeah. and that you know there are some days where that can be kind of scary but uh most days it's really cool it's energizing
0: i, I feel like you've talked about it in uh Bits and portions, but I'm just going to ask it as one general question now. Your vision for the University of St. Thomas as you go forward and as the
1: university goes forward over the next 5, 10, 15 years and beyond? So uh, we've got to lean in on culture, mm-hmm. right? We've uh, demographics are changing, the, the population of high school graduates is becoming more diverse in every way. Uh, racially, religiously, socioeconomically, and we need to make sure that every student who sets foot on our campus is seen, known, and valued. We, we have to build that into the culture so it's distinctive of St. Thomas. We uh, also have to embrace uh, a culture of innovation where it's not simply, we're innovating when we have a crisis or a challenge and we need to innovate our way through it or around it. It's just constant, and we're we're making some moves to do that. Uh, we have to really lean in on outcomes. One of the reasons that higher ed has gone off track in some respects is we've been uh, myopically focused on inputs, meaning everybody's focused on oh well, what are the median aCTs what are the median gPAs? How low can you get your acceptance rate and Of course, you know it's good to have more people interested in your school than you can admit, but it's a really, uh, I think a messed up industry. If a mark of excellence is how many people we can exclude from the benefit of what we offer. Mm -hmm. So flipping that on its head and instead making sure we're focusing on outcomes, which would be retention, graduation, employment, alumni engagement, we've got to really be serious about that. Um, and then, uh, campus, we still have some work, to do on our campus to not just to bring it up uh, to the standards of a division one athletics program, but a division one university, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as we see with the Scheneker Center, making sure we're giving the residence facilities that uh, students would need for a vital campus residency culture. We've got a new college of health. Is that going to need you know, different facilities in the years to come, and we're talking long-term now. Um, And so making sure that we're providing the campus environment that we need to be a world-class university. So we've got three buckets to focus on. If we are able to lean in in all those areas, we should be a national Catholic university that at a time when higher ed is becoming more transactional, we have doubled down on our commitment to whole person education, right? Body, mind, spirit. That's why athletics is important to what we're becoming. That's why entrepreneurship is important to what we're becoming. That's why all these different dis- interdisciplinary initiatives are important to what we're becoming. We wanna form the whole person and we wanna do it in such a powerful, life-changing and community-changing way that it's gonna draw students not just from Minnesota but the broader region and from across the country and around the world. Because Not just because that's what the business model compels, but it's because that's what the mission attracts. That's, yeah. that's the vision.
0: Great meeting you, President Fisher. Looking forward to seeing you over the next uh, handful of years and many more beyond. Thank you for your time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.